0: Namo tasa bhagavato arahato Namotasa bhagavato sama sambhutasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambhutasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato dhamma namsam Mm. Life keeps happening, doesn't it? Um, things keep unfolding, things keep shifting and changing. In our experience, light, dark, hot, cold, sensations, uh, energies, um, visual experiences. <coughs> Things we rather enjoy, things we don't enjoy, things we're not certain about changing. Mm. Mm. And also there's experience within that, trying to find a a security or a centre or a way through an orientation within that. What do I do? Where do I go? Where am I? How is this going to work? Orientation. In order that, that correct orientation, we will arrive somewhere where things will be more, you know, comfortable, agreeable, um, suitable, less disagreeable. Mm-hmm. It's very uh, fundamental um, quality of searching that uh, is built, seems built in. Mm-hmm. Search for orientation. Where am I? What works? How's this going to happen? What am I supposed to do? Uh, and so on. Going to a new place. Where are the doors? The, Washrooms and so forth, uh, who's she, what's the routine, kind of thing. And, uh, times, orientation, and then get that right. Then, having established that, where do I go? Where do I go to to arrive at a place which is more agreeable, useful, fruitful for me? We've been doing this a long time. He says, "This is a this is a, a construction, isn't it? It's, a, it's you know, it's so instinctive we barely know we, we don't really know what we're doing it. Kind of happens, and we can perhaps select what orientation we choose or you know what we seek. But essentially, there's always that movement, you know, to settle orientation. What am I? What's up? What's down? You know." Uh, and then where to go. And where to go is where will I arrive at somewhere that is uh, restful, agreeable, positive, you know, something of that nature. One is called the orientation uh, towards safety, security. Uh, another is towards agreeable, pleasant, fruitful. These are constructions. And upon those basic constructions, other constructions get established. Uh, what, what do other people do? I want to fit in to the group? Because that's important. Orient, orient myself in accordance with other people, so that uh, I will not receive blame, injury, or exclusion, being seen as pathetic or useless or weaker or whatever. You know. So that orientation, social acceptance. Uh, and that perhaps, moving on that, other people will like me, appreciate me, uh, give me more positive feedback. Mm-hmm. It's a very fundamental orientation in that sense. That's another construction. Mm-hmm. Personal meaning. Uh, what really works for me? Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, where will I get the best results for me? Uh, orientation. Another set of constructions. This is the conditioned experience. It's held together by uh, dynamic forces of uh, attention. The focus is established. Searches, finds a focal point, finds it somewhere focusing. You know, what's around me, what's beneath me, what's above me, what's below me? What are they doing? What's it say on the card? What's it say on the sheet? What's the number on the clock? Attention, form of focus, intention, a uh, uh, sense of uh, like, uh, what do I, having, having seen this, what do I, where do I go? What do I do? What do I say? What do I stop saying? What do I stop doing? Some, and that, that intention is moderated by something we might call interpretation or impression. Having attended to this, I receive this impression, I interpret it in this way, that gives me a sense of what to do now. You know, I see these numbers, I see these bodies, I see this sheet, I see these doors, I see this, that and the other. That's one of those. I interpret that, that means follow this, note that, obey this, shut that, forget that, you know. And so they interpret, and then we we act. These are all, these are called sankharas, the dynamic qualities continue in form. And they themselves are not fixed. Um, um, the modality that we always have attention, we always always have intention, we always have, always have impression, that's established, but exactly what the attention is on changes. Mm-hmm. Now, what the intention is can change, and even what the impressions are can change. how we see each other, how we see ourselves. Impressions of space, or identity, or friendliness, or hostility, or attractiveness, or uh, disagreeable. Impressions come in and they inform our intentions to hold back, to move forward, to shelter ourselves, or whatever, to offer service. And so, in this, we begin to recognise these are these are the ways our experience is constructed. <clears throat> and in some uh, practice, we are acknowledging the nature of constructed nature of, of our experience, uh, and uh, beginning to check out how much of that is accurate or blurred interpretations. Uh, confused interpretations, interpretations that uh, are maybe, uh, you know, reflex, knee-jerk, prejudges, prejudices, prejudices, biases, uh, my opinion, my take on things, not actually how it is, but, you know, something that's really, um, not not accurate. You know, spiders are not loathsome. They're you know, spiders. They're creatures, you know. um, and so on, you know. So checking some of these because these interpretations naturally give rise to intentions called chaitana that we then act upon squash it kill it because it's nasty yeah. grab it have it because it's luscious um, and so forth and so within the with these impressions then justify intentions, that if we really examine them for what they are, we've noticed this one is marked by aversion. This one is marked by greed. This one is marked by fear. This one is marked by kinds of unskillful qualities that we don't necessarily acknowledge because the very impression that we say this is an ugly thing Uh, This is a distasteful thing. The impression becomes the reality that then justifies our intention to push it away, to belittle it, to dismiss it, um, to uh, search for more of it, if it's agreeable, search for more, store it up, hoard it, uh, and and become that, take it in. And uh, these intentions, although they're not necessarily gross or uh, evil, but they, they can become habituated. Um, they drive the mind. They, they operate our, our experience and they, they move us on for those directions. What we may have acknowledged, I'm sure we have acknowledged, in order to come to this particular occasion is this doesn't really work. Now I don't really get the sense of fulfilment through following that accumulative uh, hoarding hoarding intention, inclination. I don't know what else to do because that seems like that's that's the one to you know, get what's good. Seems pretty logical to me. But somehow or another it doesn't seem to quite work, finally. I mean I get some good things, but actually all the good things I get tend to have the nature to break down and change, so I need to be maintained and and furthered, and, and, and but still go wrong with it. So though it's pretty good, it does require quite a lot of of effort and um, energy to keep it going. It's not quite the joyride that I was sort of searching for. Uh, and we can notice that in our uh, societies, which are generally very much oriented towards happiness and pleasure. Uh, but then, you know, you begin to recognize that all the conveniences and comforts that we have, which indeed are, uh, in many respects, convenient and comfortable, take a lot of work, to keep them going. And still tend to break down, or you need to have a new one next year, an update. Because this one, which was convenient five years ago, is now actually pretty much derelict. So get a new one. Mm So this is kind of energy. Then you begin to recognize, "Uh uh-oh, there's something in here, isn't there? The consumerist ethic. Mm. Just keep consuming. Uh, So you get a kind of like an oral gratification instinct, which doesn't matter what you consume, as long as you keep consuming. (laughs) Because that quality of consuming itself has got a certain energy into it that keeps you feeling you're rolling along, and that's better than just sitting around going stale, or being left behind. Uh, So this seeds itself, and becomes a kind of, I would say, a toxin. A virus, consumer virus. Clearly, you know, uh, consuming things, anything, even ideas. I was staying with a man recently, I went to his house, and it was, I mean, all the walls of this room could be filled with the books, you know, from, from floor to ceiling all the way around. All that, if you can imagine those full of shelves, all the shelves would be full of books. And I said, have you read these? He said, I've read every title. <laughs> 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 and they were great titles. <laughs> I, I, mean, I was looking at Wow. Look at Wow. Wow, look at that. Amazing. You, know, you, feel, you want to pick it up and get it. And there's like 300 pages in that thing. And the cut and designs. Beautiful, nice, beautifully tasteful design covers. It? Wow. And you pick one up, you look inside sights, white, with black on it, you don't want to read it. <laughs> but somewhere or there's the a sense within this as this wonderful stuff called knowledge, which illuminates the brain as you feel brightened, inspired, invigorated intellectually. and You get a kind of consuming the knowledge. Because it gives one a, like an intellectual glow and a high. Uh, how much do you need? Is the, is the uh, renunciation question. It's not, a, it's not a statement, it's a question. How much do you actually need? You have, certainly you have to consume something, but how much do you really need? In order for what? Where are we going? Where are we going? How much do you need for where you? Do you know where you're going? (laughs) If that uh, joyride is a rather a fantasy, if the uh, you know, the glow at the end of the rainbow, the gold at the end of the rainbow is a fantasy, where, where are you going anyway? Good to know, isn't it? If we are <laughs> getting a, what we need for the journey depends where you're going. So we just kind of placing that question there, not just in terms of physical, material needs, even intellectual needs, or intellectual hungers or emotional hunger how much do you need because the more that we follow these uh, uh, biases or these drives consumer drive blindly it comes the case that where we, where we, what we're moving towards is actually a state of bloated uh, overcharged uh, too much overwhelmed Right. too much to carry because all of the things that you, you take in will require servicing so how much do you need? Kind of... even food you know, you've know, got to process it through a body, Your body has the work to digest it, so how much is suitable? can't say nothing is survive on thin air But you know. and how much do you need in other respects? depends where you're going now What other? Um, uh, how? how is, what are other are it, other are other intentions? So, this intention intention to accumulate, to consume. And does it get influenced by a kind of pathology we would call greed? Heavy word. In other words. Something that just enjoys the act of consuming rather than achieves a sense of that's enough. So greed is a quality that just enjoys consuming. Because the feeling of consuming gives one a sense of I can do it, I have the right, I have the power, I have the possibility, somehow I am made larger by my ability to consume whatever I want as much as I like, as much space, as much time, as much ideas, as much food, as much power, as much anything, no limit. And something is a pathology of virus called greed, which enjoys that that mind state, that attitude, and uh, gets kind of locked into it. If I'm not getting that, then I'm feeling undernourished, weak, uh, non ambitious, um, not, not getting anywhere in my life, uh, not fulfilling myself, becoming stupid, left behind. Oh, I don't want that. <laughs> yeah. So it works both ways. You're not just a poor, impoverished nobody. What other drives are? There's the drive of uh, that which seeks to um, ward off the uncomfortable, the disagreeable, the hostile, the deadly, the racking, the painful. Defense policy, you might say. That's also a constructed drive. How safe do you need to be? How safe can you be? We begin to recognize. Yeah. Shelter, yeah, takes effort to get a shelter together. To maintain it takes effort. Still, you know, it takes a lot of effort to keep it going, to buy it, to fix it, to so forth. Shelter, you need shelter. How much? How what do we seek in that? Shelter or a kind of a dream world? my space, have things set out the way I like them in my space. Sounds reasonable? Mm-hmm. It is. <laughs> uh, how, far do you, how far does that one go? How much effort? And how uh, tenable is it before you know, we have to fight off other creatures um, our property, possessions fading or, or ceasing to uh uh breaking down. Accumulations, mm-hmm. houses get full of stuff. Mm-hmm. So full of stuff. Our dream world sort of the desirable, the memorable, the interesting. My identity, where I've been, where I am, who I am. Is spread out on the walls to reiterate my life. How good is that? How useful is that? Harmless, probably to a degree. Then you try and move away from it, and you realise, hey, I've got like five uh, truckloads of gear (laughs) that has to be stored. How much do I actually need that? that? You have to come, somebody come and sit in it while you're away to make sure it doesn't get stolen or break down or go moldy. And you might have a pet. Well, that means your life is chained to the pet. You can't go out because you can't go on the street because of the dog or the, or the goldfish or the cat. <laughs> Which in one's dream world is quite desirable. The cuddly, the cute, the uh, thing we can look after, and feel happy with. But perhaps we're not living a dream world. How much effort and manageable is a dream? What's needed: shelter, comfort. And you realise, with those um, once we establish a place, then we've got to protect it. So the defence policy comes up, the alarm, sig- alarm system, the locks, the gate, the padlocks, the uh, barbed wire, the police force, the army, and so on, and so on, and so on, so, as it escalates out. And then a bristly, defensive, you know, who's that, stranger, stranger, oh, stranger. We create uh, the more we have, the more we fear that other people will take it from us. Mm-hmm. And of course this very body, how much can you protect that from blows, uh from attacked by the human beings, or attacked by the elements, or attacked by insects, attacked by diseases, you realise it's not very really defendable. How much health insurance do you people pay every month, every year? Will it stop you getting sick? No. Will it stop you dying? No. It may uh, keep one alive longer. That's about it. How much is it worth? How much of your life is spent paying off your health insurance? (laughs) working against the inevitable. How much can we uh, really um, prevent other people from cursing us, insulting us, being aggressive towards us? To some degree, you know, find the right people, go to the right places, avoid people who are drunk, uh, you know, do these kinds of things. So there's a certain how much can you do, how much is necessary. And where do you find safety? Really. So this event, fear, comes up. Comes a, a viral experience. Potential hair-triggered hair for fear. Certainly, you know, as I come across a lot of borders into countries, you realize these are, these are big fear places. Fear of the invasions, the immigrants, the criminals, the terrorists coming in. Yeah. And then I am the potential criminal terrorist, you know. So I feel a little bit nervous because this person is seeing me as a potential criminal terrorist, cocaine smuggler, religious fanatic, weirdo, or something or the other, uh, is not doing the normal thing, therefore probably, you know, not a suspect. It says report anybody who looks suspicious. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> it means empower your paranoia <laughs> This becomes viral, doesn't it? <laughs> As you recognize, maybe, you know, <laughs> there's only so much you can protect, and perhaps if one is more relaxed and friendly and sensible, we feel happier like this. We don't have to insult, uh, violate, abuse each other. You know? the, the safest policy is to stay calm, and centered, steady, peaceful. Uh, and, you know, just at least then we know what we can protect. We can protect our own heart from getting overwhelmed with fear, with hostility, and with greed and hatred. This is something we can orient ourselves to. And you begin to recognize that many of the constructions that are established are established from an unawakened perspective. An awakened perspective begins with recognizing we need orientation, we need a direction, but the orientation has to be towards here, because this is actually where we are, whatever that means. And deep into that, till one feels very steady, and complete, and centered, and at peace with just being here. Because here (laughs) refers to where we always are. That has to be the fundamental orientation. Not the town, not the city, not the nation, not the house, not the party, not the railway, not the airplane, but here. Uh, So where's that? And essentially, you come back to body. And where, are we, where is it going? Mm-hmm. Well, in some ways the body is going towards aging, sick, growth, aging, sickness, death yeah. in some respects. But also on a perhaps a more immediate sense we feel the body is moving always towards health, balance, peacefulness. This maybe be an aspect of the body that we barely recognize. Until one becomes more here, and you dismantle other directions as being, well, not right now. I've done that already. Uh, I don't trust that trajectory. Well, I want to question that trajectory. What happens if I just focus mostly on here and see what the body's primary movement is towards. I don't mean moving your fingers or your legs, but essentially this is our intelligent body. And it generally moves towards least stress, least pressure, sort of level, restful alertness. It's awake, it's sensitive, It's not oppressed. It's not overcharged. It's not stagnant. It's in a balanced, harmonious state. Maybe this is where I need to go. Well, at least it's a reasonable first step anyway. See what happens then. This first step can take uh, quite a while actually. (laughs) Because uh, even though I say first step, our thinking mind thinks, okay, what's next? And then, no, no, you haven't got it yet. That's a mental construction that the direction is forward in some way, on to the next thing. We take this step so the next step will become available. And we want to get to that as quickly as possible. This is a construction. This attitude is a construction. This quality of intentionality is constructed. It's It's so innately constructed that we don't you recognize it such. How can you not want to have the next thing? But if you begin to cultivate, or just be aware, you realize the next thing always arises by itself anyway. It's never the... the don't you have the experience that nothing happens, and then nothing happens again, and then lo and behold, a third nothing happens? <laughs> it's never the case that nothing happens... So what we're really looking to do is to dismantle the next step, because the next step in the constructed, conditioned realm is generally a step made by the mind, to infected by accumulate by the wish to accumulate, by the wish to to find something in the future, by the wish to get away from something in the present by the wish to hold on to something that's here. To acquire, to hoard, to ward off. And maybe, if we didn't take that step, if we didn't take that next step, we might find the first step is perhaps the best step. And you want to linger with it, and see if a next step is necessary. Maybe there's only one step, at least bear in mind as a possibility. When we come to cultivate Dharma, we begin to you know start to loosen up our constructions because we recognize our constructed world, probably with a good amount of learning and education and social um, mediation and social uh, programming has led us to places that are not satisfying or of missing pieces, or in fact deeply dissatisfying. What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? How did I get it wrong? What's wrong with me? Why aren't I the way I should? Why aren't I in the dream world where it's all fine established, like it is in the movies? Because you're not in a dream world, and you're not in the movies. That's why. (laughs) you in this. And it doesn't work that way. <laughs> so what is the first step? And what does it mean to learn? To take, or to adjust to the first step and stay. I don't know how long. Hmm? Check out what arises that Pushes one forward, backward, any direction. Check out: is it affected by desire to acquire, to hoard, to uh, become something, to firm up? To how how useful is any of that? And we're looking to learn from our most fundamental. basis for intention, attention, and impression. Now these are the these are the constructors, these are the sankharas. they're there. And what is this most fundamental, perhaps least socially, least personally, least politically, least culturally, least consumer, least you know, constructed of all that. It's not going to be the mind, is it? mind has been profoundly educated, indoctrinated, modified, directed, programmed. It's not going to be in there. It's not going to be the most primary. That's going to be something that's very heavily seeded with a lot of biases. It's not necessarily your fault. These get, these get built in these wash over us a thousand times a day you can't help but pick them up it's not your fault mm-hmm. so if not the mind what else do we have well, we have a certain quality we might call heart which is um, sensitive, affective feels things mm-hmm. wishes for things Probably a heart that is somewhat um, agitated, unhappy, uh, good-natured, but probably carrying certain amounts of worry, anxiety, sadness. Quite deeply affected. Anything else? It's perhaps cleaner than that. What about this body? Now. This again is why I do emphasize this, and why I feel it's something to, perhaps, highlight, because I would suggest to you that this body is something that is grossly misinterpreted, and grossly neglected, in terms of its intelligence. Most of our experiences of the body as an object, something I see. I see other people's bodies, I see my own body, I imagine what they see me as, how they see my body. So I dress it and do things through it to make it seem acceptable, depending where I am. So my experience of body is fundamentally as a seen thing. Well, clearly that's a visual impression. With a mental interpretation. I am attractive. I am not attractive. I'm dressed properly, I'm not dressed properly. These kinds of things. That's a visual experience. Body experience in and of itself is what? Tactile, rough, smooth, painful, disagreeable, uh, pleasant, uh, relaxing, comfortable. Is that the body in contact with phenomena around it? Perhaps. And there's also the body's experience of itself. And this remains as the the fundamental orientation. Because clearly when we move around, we can move through hot and cold. That's not a constant orientation. We can move across soft surfaces, and hard surfaces, wet, dry. Okay, it's the abrasive contact or smooth contact. So these things are not constant references. The constant reference of the body is to be that which receives impressions. And to receive impressions accurately it has to know itself. It has to be fully itself. It has to, to be, have an intelligence to interpret what it's experiencing. and beginning to operate within that, to adjust within that. The pressure, or the absence of it. And we look at the most constant features of the body, of our bodily experience, of our orientation. It must know where the ground is. Otherwise, we can't operate. It's a sense of ground, that which supports, that which holds it up. Bodies can't fly. Uh, they, They stand, they sit, they walk on a something, and it needs to know the ground is steady. So it's something we call a grounding intelligence. Something that searches for, where's the firm place, where's the standpoint, where's the place where I can rest, be supported has that kind of intelligence this seems unremarkable it is unremarkable in many ways but we're learning to look at something that's an orientation that you can accomplish and it's always going to be with you wherever you go it's an orientation that you have some say over you don't have to go to a customs post in order to find ground you don't have to pay a admission fee to find ground. You don't have to be that nice to find ground, or pleasant, or beautiful, or winner to find ground. So it's pretty much open border. So it may not be the greatest, but it's certainly free and accessible. And it provides something whereby we get the second sense the bodies know is balance. Oh. And its balance is remarkably intelligent. We have a balancing orientation. Balancing means the least stress, the least amount of muscle is needed to sustain this posture, sitting, standing, walking. Without this we fall over, or we or our muscles have to contract to hold us upright. Balance means the least effort is necessary to sustain this posture, this mode, And that's quite, that's sensitive. Particularly if you're standing, you realize losing that balancing sense, you could be in deep trouble. And if people, I know people have had afflictions, whereby this balancing sense is no longer an immediate thing, and it's deeply disturbing, you know, to get out of bed and immediately fall over. And not be able to find balance. But we, most of us, I imagine, can do that most of the time. Anyway, again, this may not seem like great news, but it is essential because within ground balance, we begin to get a sense of there's something quite steady and stable here, and it's not, and it's it's not just a dead like a rock, because it requires continual intelligence in the body to sense it and to sense when it's going out. Another feature that the bodies know is the degree of, which is similar to balance, is the degree of pressure and, and stress that is needed. Uh, this, is, this is to do with muscle tone. When you get ready to stand up, for example, the signal goes into your body and your muscles start to warm up. They do it very quickly. They tone up. Get ready for action. So, okay, it's time to stand up. You'll probably feel immediately energy moves into your legs when you hear those words. Yeah. Energy moves into your legs. Something starts to get ready to act. Powers up, doesn't it? Energy moves in there and uh, do something. The energy might move up into your chest because mostly we operate through our arms and their heads. Uh, so, this means that the muscles tone up, and for in active life, this toning up of the muscles is so constant, because the need to keep moving, doing, acting, operating, tweaking, responding, talking, adjusting. There's so many do-do-dos going on on a subtle level, Your muscles... Toned up all the time. In fact, they start to tense, overdoing tense, they tense up because they haven't learnt discharge. Now you don't need to do anything. They discharge, and that's deeply relaxing. So this quality of the absence of pressure, we call it the space element. There's no spacious. There's no pressure, there's no rush, there's no have-to, there's no next moment to prepare yourself for. And if you bear those signals in mind, you recognize that probably the most of the time, your mind is thinking, there is something to prepare for. Now, there is something I should be doing now. If I can't remember what it is, I better panic, because there must be something, and I've forgotten it. I'm probably getting it wrong. So act even quicker. And those signals and another feature of body is it very rapidly there's a strong sympathy between body and mind. As we can recognise when you set up the idea, let's stand up, body immediately gets that. Uh, hurry up, body gets that. Uh, uh, not not loud in here, the body gets that. You get these immediate signals run into the body. And it tenses or relaxes or powers up in certain ways. There's a very strong sympathy between the body and the mind, and particularly, and the translator of that verbal to bodily is emotion, the heart. So the heart translates immediately the words into primary signals. Heart sends out. Impulses mm. to act immediately. Somebody spoke to you in French. It'd probably take you a little while to get it, but you pick up their voice tone. That sounds like an imperative to me. So I better don't know what he's saying, but it's imperative. Mm. Of course, it's get get very confusing because if you if you're in Thailand, for example, they have particular tones which sound like imperatives, but they're not imperatives. They're just the way that the word is pronounced. So you get a word like, Mai? And that's not an imperative. Well, it's not a question. But you don't know. So it can sound like somebody's really giving a lot of commands, but actually they're not. So you get a strange disorientation. Like, what's going wrong here? And actually they're just having a polite conversation. So, this signaling occurs. Signal, the emotional interpretation goes into the body act. And this is where the toxins in the heart can affect the body. So, you say, you know, now it's time to do something, and that can get translated to hurry up, do it. No, 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 it just it's time to. It's about time to do something. Oh, hurry up and do it. No, 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 wrong signal. It's about time to, you know, feel your way into doing this. How am I supposed to do it? No, no, it's the wrong signal. <laughs> it's not an anxiety signal. It's an invitation. It's not a demand signal. It's an offering. It's so we can easily, the hearts, when they've been loaded with these imperatives of hurry up, get it done, don't get left behind, make sure you come up with the best quickly as possible. then these signals are the go-to's, the first set of signals the heart emits. And this is where the toxins of the heart go into the body you find yourself tensing up, agitated, tight guts, frozen shoulders, stiff-jawed. Because the signals that we've learned have been seeded with all kinds of messages about performance, about comparison, about being judged, about self-criticizing, critiquing, getting ahead, being the winner, making sure that you get the job done very promptly and then that will give you the approval. And this is a very pernicious virus that I imagine all of us have been affected by to a greater or lesser degree for some time in our lives, because it is the big virus of the working world. So we, yeah. but similarly, just as the mind and the translates through the heart into the body, the converse can occur. So if we cultivate, deliberately cultivate, deliberately cultivate the here the balance, and look for and emphasize the space quality, then this translates into the heart. You're fine. Um, let's sit and linger with that. Feel how that is. Give that a little more time to operate. You haven't quite heard it yet. Let it come through. You're operating much more in terms of the natural body signal rather than ambitioned mind signal. And the body does give signals. This is grounded. Uh, there is space. Uh, or there isn't. Yeah. Check it out. When we come to a retreat center and a Dhamma practice, then ideally we highlight and encourage and do whatever we can to tweak (laughs) the situation to, you know, to give us access to ground and balance and spaciousness. So, you know, that's there. And so, this is why we take away so many, uh, time, uh, so many, uh, as people mentioned the first night, expectation. Yeah? The road, highway of expectation takes you to the roadblock of despair. <laughs> Very quickly. So, uh no expectation. Uh, no sense of having to get somewhere or attain anything or get to stage two or become a sota by the end of the retreat. These, in some respects, these could be helpful signals. I'm not saying, not, but I would suggest for most people in our uh, with our disease, <laughs> these are very damaging signals. Simplicity. So what does it take to orient towards the most basic focus for attention, intention and impression? The Pali words for these, intention, chitana, attention, manasikara, impression, pasa, contact. How things are felt. When it comes down to it, Visual field, yeah. You can lose your eyes, you still be alive. Auditory, you can go deaf, you still be alive. But one thing is more fundamental than that. Yeah. This body, that has to be the home base. So if we're looking for the as close as we can get to what is least constructed. It's going to come into the the body. And notice how a body in itself gives attention. Just sensing the ground beneath you. Energy moving down, sensing the tingling, the pressures. And within that, how how does it get to feel more grounded, more basic, more comfortable, more steady? that. How does it get to find balance? So, least stress is needed. So, giving an invitation, and then realize the body works as an entire unit, not as a head with other bits underneath it, but as an entirety. The only way it can find harmony and balance is if all of it comes into operation it's a holistic system. You can't have a balanced arm without the rest of the body. It has to be how the whole thing fits together. As comfortable. So you develop quite a wide aperture of attention. How does the whole thing sit? There are certain benefits to that because it means certainly at any given time certain parts of your body will probably feel too hot or uncomfortable or itchy. And the tendency can be to rush into those and try to make them otherwise. Well, just pause on that one. If you go to the whole bodies an entirety, it lessens the intensity of local experiences. And if we linger in that wholeness and can be to experience balance, you're going to find another quality called Breathing which is the rhythmic flow which the body experiences. And that rhythmic flow is deeply soothing and refreshing. So much so that the niggles on the skin and the muscle begin to fade from one's attention Begin to no longer be objects that one's mind gravitates towards and seizes up and struggles with, they become quite minimal. And something we probably wouldn't necessarily recognise is that just the sense of balanced energy by itself does allow parts of the body to relax and open and come out of their uh, contracted or tense state much of our bodily disease is just caused by imbalance too much energy in the shoulders too much energy in the neck not enough energy in the lower back yeah and if these things are studied and balanced a lot of physical discomfort fades away And this is a to go into it. Go into this. Remember, sometimes the model of meditation is to be witnessing what's going on. Which is a reasonable enough, in some respects, way of looking at things, but actually, um, we're not witnessing experience, we are an experience. And witnessing is part of the experience. Uh, and that witnessing can be uh, contaminated by goal orientation by narrowness by urgency by pressure to achieve by selecting particular pieces so the witness itself can be uh, uh, is a construction that needs to be overhauled because for sure Whether you're witnessing or not witnessing, you're experiencing. You are the experience. How much witnessing do you need? How much attention do you need? Probably most of us need, fundamentally, attention moored in the body, established in the body, removed from the mental contaminations and constructions, and an intention that is attuned to... Listening, learning, not tweaking too much, not being a constant tinkerer, not being a constant fidgety, button-pressing tweaker, making this and that, this and that to get it exactly right. Maybe it needs to be intentional just a little bit more trusting and restful and just caring, just caring. If you want to have a, a witness, make it a witness who's on looking with care and trust and encouragement <coughs> and invitation rather than some restlessly fidgeting around tweaking this, poking that, pushing this, fiddling with that. This attitude can be um, another set of constructions. It can be deeply uh, insulting, actually, <laughs> and, and intrusive. There is a responsive, we have a responsive nature. The responsive nature is in the heart. Before it tells us, hurry up, and do this, hurry up, to get this, get that heart, just be a little more comfortable, relaxed, and loving. This will do us immeasurable benefit. It cannot do us harm. The tweaker can get to be like the mad scientist. <laughs> you know, the loving heart, it may not be the sharpest thing in town, but it's not going to do us any harm. And it's going to create a sense of trusting. You don't have to get this right immediately, for goodness sake. You know, it doesn't matter if you get it not exactly right the first time. You know, we've got plenty of time, we've got a life together. <laughs> you know? And this way we can encourage growth, encourage it, encourage our confidence, and not make a big issue about drifting off, you know, or cutting to get it right, or come up with the good results. So this is the quality of heart to, to return to, to generate, to imagine, to remember, to praise, and bring this into your body um, and then you will certainly find that the blend of the bodily groundedness, stability and balance and the warm heart will do the measurable benefit. The measurable benefit. So let's I'll pause with the um, verbal constructions at this time. I hope there's been a few useful signals in there.